This podcast is not intended as a substitute for professional help. If you or someone you know is facing difficulties, I advise you consult a psychologist. Hi everyone, welcome to episode four of Psych for Life with Dr. Amanda Ferguson. I'm your host, Dr. Amanda Ferguson. In this podcast, I'll be talking about surrogate or spiritual family. By surrogate, I mean not linked biologically, but by choice. The word surrogate is used in the context of a surrogate mother, where a woman carries a baby for another woman. But I'm interested in social alliances and why we might need these, how we form them and how we manage these surrogate or spiritual social alliances or family. Even in a relatively normal or functional family, usually parents, particularly in a nuclear family, aren't able to meet all their children's needs. Partners can't meet all of each other's needs. And I don't believe we're meant to. We're meant to seek the rest of our needs from the world and from within ourselves. If we think back to more traditional extended families and societies, in these families, others in the extended family helped to meet the needs, particularly of children. Sophisticated people these days are recreating these more traditional families, but in social ways. But in a dysfunctional family, a child's needs are usually grossly neglected or even violated. So where does this leave a child whose needs aren't being met? Where does this leave us as adults when our needs weren't met as children? This podcast focuses more on this greater need for family in adulthood that typically does result from a dysfunctional family of origin. And many of us reach a point in our lives where we realise our biological family either isn't there physically or isn't there for us emotionally or mentally or psychologically. Or we've recognised that our parents and the rest of our family has actually given us all they can. And hence why many of us seek a surrogate or spiritual family. Human beings are social beings. Studies from birth show that there's a measurable need for humans and other primates to have close physical and emotional connections. And research shows that if there's one person in a child's life who makes them feel loved simply because of who they are, not for anything they do, that is so protective for their mental health as adults. And as adults, there's a long history in the psychological literature showing that the more support we have, the more people we have in our support team, the more we lean on these people, the faster and better we get through problems in life, struggles in life, and more successfully. So ideally, we grow up in a loving, safe family and go on as adults to all feel united and supported and support each other as adults in our family. Society and families generally have expectations that adult children will be kind to their parents or at least tolerate and help them, especially as parents get older. Society expects that parents will always be there for their children and even grandchildren. Siblings expect to like each other, to be there for each other. Countless clients have asked me over the decades, shouldn't you like your parents? Shouldn't you like your children, your siblings? Shouldn't we be friends as siblings? Shouldn't we have to look after our parents? Shouldn't they want to look after our grand their grandchildren? But this is not always the case. Psychology calls these expectations myths. What do we do if these people who are supposed to be close to us aren't nice to us? What do we do if we don't actually like these people who we're supposed to be close to? In the course of working for nearly 30 years with people, I've seen countless variations of the need for surrogate family members or these spiritual family members. Boys need their fathers. 
And so encouraging other friends, family friends, fathers in the family friend group. This is where groups such as activities, hobbies, sporting groups, technology groups can be where we can find a male role model for boys whose fathers are absent, either physically or emotionally or psychologically. With teenagers, we often see them depending more on their friends, especially when family members aren't able. I often hear of young girls saying that they don't feel close to their mothers, but they rely on their friends and share things with their friends. Young adults still feeling a lack of parenting often feel unloved and unworthy. And if we can watch out for these young adults as well and be there as a surrogate parent, auntie, even sibling, this can make a great difference in their lives. Older adults, of course, with partners or without partners, with estranged children or confused and in pain still feeling unloved, these are where the need for surrogate family continues. To clarify what I'm talking about, I often ask my clients to imagine going to a dinner party or a series of dinner parties where we meet our biological family members for the first time as strangers. Would we have much in common? Would we swap phone numbers? Would we want to catch up again afterwards? This is a real litmus test, isn't it, as to how we really feel about each other, how much we really have in common, whether we really would be friends. This is where we can see the true colours and really recognise the truth of the nature of these people who we are, in society's expectations, meant to be or should be liking, when in fact perhaps we really don't, and perhaps for reasons of being very different. Just because we're biologically related doesn't mean that we're similar or that we even will like each other. Again, these are myths in society. So if you do feel that honestly after meeting with a family member over the course of several dinner parties or barbecues that really this is not someone you'd really like or get on with naturally or have much in common with, that can be a revelation as well as a way of recognising and adjusting to the fact, the reality of the potential of this relationship and perhaps allowing it to stay more superficial and building deeper connections with other people, more social alliances that can fill the need that this person, this relationship as a family member really can't. And this happens for many reasons that we feel we're not close to family members, not just because we are different in our personality, but sometimes being adopted, being fostered, being lost to our family in other ways, having family members die, disappear, being sent to boarding school can be traumatic for some people especially if they were very young or the child forming an opinion when they were sent away that they weren't wanted, weren't able to be close to parents. Mental health issues, physical health issues. Just because parents have had children doesn't mean life doesn't go on and sometimes cause them problems. Marital problems can disrupt parenting of children. Divorce, blended families, job and career problems, financial problems, and then, of course, disasters, fires, floods pandemics. All of these things impact how much and how parents can love their children. Break-ins. Over the years, I've had clients report that home invasions have caused great disturbance to the way they were parented. Theft, crime, other attacks. So many things get in the way of how parents can provide for their children. A lot of the reasons I find people lamenting the lack of parenting or the kind of parenting they did or didn't receive is due to parents' dysfunction, personality disorders, addictions and psychological things like that. 
There's much in the media these days about narcissism as a personality disorder, but there's a whole range of personality disorders and other mental afflictions that can cause people to struggle to parent their children or to simply not know that they're not parenting their children, bonding with them as well as they could be. And so finding a true sense of ourself or our identity, which is known in psychology as differentiating or individuating from our families as adults, typically finds us discovering, recognising, coming to terms with and healing from the difficulties our parents had and where they didn't and couldn't parent us as ideally as we would like. This produces a sense of difference between ourselves and our biological families. We discover where there's been a lack of relating, relationship, being understood, being supported. And worse still, of course, childhood trauma, abuse, neglect, rejection, abandonment. Typically, unless parents recover, our relationship can't and they won't be able to fulfil our basic needs. And this is why we often need a surrogate spiritual set of parents, family members. Ideally, if we can salvage our biological relationships to whatever extent we can, of course, this is the ideal. But if not, what then? In childhood years, some children are fostered where biological parents aren't alive or aren't able to raise their children. Organisations such as Find a Grandparent, Adopt a Grandparent exist for reasons that often grandparents aren't available for children or there is a need for more grandparenting. These are more legal opportunities for extra parenting and where another adult or older person can be responsible for a child. Of course, it is the responsibility of the adult to be appropriate about this relationship. When an adult has that power in a child's life, it is their responsibility to be appropriate and use that power for good. It's a responsibility that some adults take on and carries the same significance and duty of care as that of a parent. Equally, if other family members, such as aunts or uncles, have their own children and still choose to be close to their nieces or nephews, this needs to be handled delicately so biological children aren't made insecure by these relationships. In many denominations of Christianity, there are godchildren, there are godparents for children. And this is a way of making more formal extensions of the family by including other people in the child's life in a legal way. In these more religious families, traditionally a person presents as a witness to the child's christening or baptism, promises to take responsibility to help in their religious education or spiritual formation. And in some countries, godparents are legal guardians and take an interest in the child's upbringing and personal development. They take the responsibility of mentoring the child or being a support person in the child's life. These days, in non-religious families, parents usually have close friends who they see as a surrogate auntie or parent or uncle to the child in the same way as if they were formal godparents. These people take the same roles, perhaps not as formally, but informally. They are spiritual family, surrogate family. And these people are typically involved in the spiritual and psychological support and needs of the child. Again, these people can take the place of a father where he's not able to bond so much with his son in a particular interest or sport where the surrogate father may have a natural ability and interest. And as friends of the parents, this is a way that a surrogate parent can be naturally part of the family. One of the benefits of spiritual surrogate family is they don't 
have to have the same permanency. There's much more flexibility that friends come and go in adults' lives, therefore in children's lives, that new surrogate family members can be introduced as people grow and change, people move country, and as new types of people are needed in a child's life, this can happen organically. Which doesn't mean to say we don't hold on to old friends, that old friends who have been surrogate family members can still be there in the child's life. As long as we're open in our communication and about boundaries with these people who are surrogate spiritual family members, these relationships can be very healthy. For instance, do we holiday together or not? Does a parent go as well as a surrogate family member on a child's holiday? Or are they safe to go alone with the surrogate family member? I often recommend to clients to tell the other parents involved to give them the opportunity to be more involved or at least to be aware. If children are naturally gravitating to spiritual family members or surrogate family members, I often recommend to clients that all adults are open with each other so that the child doesn't feel any guilt about being closer to a spiritual family member more than their biological family member in some ways or at some times in their lives. Because of the closeness of these relationships, it's important for the safety of the child that communication is open between parents and between adults, boundaries are clear and the child is safe. If a child's becoming close to a specific person, for instance a neighbour, it's important that everything's out in the open, communication is clear, parents are aware and the child knows that it's safe and the relationship is only for the benefit of the child. It's not an equal relationship. The responsibility and the onus of safety is on the adults. In adult years, there's also a need for surrogate spiritual family. Tragically, the incidence of child abuse, neglect and rejection is high. We all need a family. Luckily, it doesn't have to be biological, but we do need to find a sense of family. And as soon as we realise this, it can bring a huge sense of relief to recognise that while we all need family members, they don't have to be biological. They can be surrogate spiritual family members, and we do need to find these family people. So while surrogate family can be more arranged by adults for children, It's much more of an organic process as adults to find our spiritual surrogate family, people we can rely on. We can't tell where these people will come from. They can be neighbours. They can be people who are interested in a similar hobby or other pursuit that we enjoy. They can be workmates. They can be in-laws and friends, of course. As we find these people and build strong relationships with them, which occur organically and naturally usually, there's a sense of gaining family members. They could be surrogate auntie, a surrogate father or mother, and certainly siblings. Over years, typically, there eventually comes a sense of having been mothered or fathered enough having been filled with this sense of mothering or being fathered or having a sibling, this amazing sense of family. It's wonderful to be able to gain these relationships and this feeling of family over years that we otherwise wouldn't maybe have gained due to a lack of closeness with biological family. It's a sense of having that cup filled. And once filled, then it's simply a pleasure to have these functional family members as adults in our lives. 
Because, as I said before, the research is so clear that the more we have a support team, the better we do in life. The lack of such a support team, the lack of a spiritual or surrogate family, leaves us bereft, less functional, less able to cope in life, less resilient. Of course, we're all social beings to varying extents. Some of us are more social than others. Some of us only need one or two people in our lives. Others need a strong network, a larger network of people. Once we realise our personalities, our needs, it's important to make sure we take care of them as to how many people and what extent and depth of relationships we need. So in dramatic situations where there really is a great lack of a family member, a standout example would be of a man who never received the fathering he really needed, never reached out for or was provided other male role models, mentors, There's typically an enormous lack of masculine energy in a male who has lacked a male role model, mentor, father figure. If that man hasn't been able to find role models in his work life, for instance, or in sporting life, then there's a lack of masculine energy, ability to follow through, ability to project into the world, to get our needs met. And of course, we all have masculine and feminine energies within us, gender aside. And similarly for women, I've seen many cases where they haven't had a good strong male role model in their lives and they lack that masculine energy. We see this lack of male energy in people who are unable to project into the world or achieve in the world. And the flip side of this lack of male energy is aggression, which again is not normal masculine empowered energy. There are three types of communication. There's aggressive, passive or assertive. Assertive communication is good masculine energy. Aggression is distorted masculine energy and so is passive communication, distorted masculine energy or a lack of masculine energy. So aggression is not masculine. It's not empowered. It's not assertive. In other examples of where parents aren't able to parent us, we find sometimes children rejecting, adult children rejecting their parents. There are often articles in the media about children divorcing their parents where adult children feel that their parent is still abusing, still crossing boundaries, and they feel they have no choice but to cease communication with their parent as adults or for some time to cease communication, to reassert themselves as adults with more healthy boundaries, given that their parents are unable to. We see examples where adult women have their own children and suddenly realise the toxicity in their mothers. And for these reasons of protecting their children as well as themselves, they reassert themselves. I often help clients reassert themselves with their parents as adults as well as finding new spiritual surrogate relationships to take the place of toxic parental relationships. And in final years, people without family or partners, friends helping each other in hospital treatments, checking staff at hospitals are doing the right things for each other, going to appointments with each other as support people, as witnesses, to ask questions of doctors As companions, these surrogate spiritual family relationships are important right to the end of our lives. So how, as adults, do we form these surrogate spiritual family relationships? Well, marriage isn't a guarantee. Statistically, about 50% of first marriages fail, 67% of second and over 70% of third marriages. So we can't rely on marriages necessarily for our spiritual family relationships. 
The Australian Bureau of Statistics found in 2019 that divorce occurs mostly in our middle ages, and this is a time when we can feel bereft of family relationships. Having our own children isn't a certainty either to provide us with family relationships. There's no certainty we'll like our adult children, nor that they'll like us. People have admitted to me behind closed doors quite often that they don't like their children, that if they'd known what it was like to have children, they wouldn't have had children. Children move away often, go overseas, aren't there for their parents for all kinds of reasons. Shockingly, research shows that most friendships won't last, and women in particular are socialised as young girls to play nice, keep their friends close. And so when adult friendships fail for women, they're often reporting to me that they feel shame, confusion, despair over what they must have done to cause this. Close relationships aren't easy. In fact, they can be fraught with challenges, but we need them. This is where we get our needs met. We need to learn how to form these close surrogate spiritual relationships. Some of the general tips that we give people as psychologists is about giving space to friendships. Giving space gives a sense of oxygen. Friendships can breathe. If there's more space in the friendship, it's more likely to last. In long-term relationships, we have to reconcile, recalibrate and often renegotiate the friendship at many stages as we grow and change. Friendships break down because people grow apart, because people have differences such as financial differences. People grow and change. People move away. Friendships break down for all kinds of reasons that are beyond our control. Sometimes we feel we are growing and our friend isn't or they seem to be moving on and leaving us behind. Some of the things that we learn that works for friendships is having a number of people and recognising and respecting, coming to terms with limits in people. We all have our limits. We all have our prickly or defensive edges. Being able to accept these in our friends, being able to adjust and respect those parts, those limitations. We can talk about different things to different extents, and in different ways to various friends. For instance, if we have a problem that's relevant to one friend in particular, it's more likely we will discuss that with them than potentially with other friends. In this way, we're not burdening our friends. In this way, we're managing what psychology calls the exchange. There's a body of research called exchange theory where consciously or unconsciously, subconsciously, we're all actually managing the exchange of energy between each other. Most of us are aiming for this to be an equal exchange so that if someone does a favour for us, we have in the back of our mind that we owe them and we look for ways to repay that favour. Similarly, if we feel that our energy is being taken, that we are giving more than we're receiving, we will start to seek for that to be equalised. And if not, we will probably withdraw from that person somewhat. And this is a healthy, natural way that we manage these spiritual surrogate relationships. With our surrogate family, we can typically talk about these things. It's more easy to do these things because we're typically more aware. Whereas with biological family, we often struggle because the relationship was set by the parents and other elders in the family, which we, even as adult children, struggle to have power to change quite often. Of course, it's not just about keeping our friends, as much of this is out of our control. It's about making new friends. When one friendship ends or drifts away, it may or may not come back. 
And if we aren't naturally social people or meeting people who could become friends, we may need to push ourselves out of our comfort zones. There are lots of websites where people can meet up and join interest groups, hobbies and activities. Some communities have men's sheds and men often tell me this is a great place for meeting other male role models or friends or mentors. Workplace, we often make friends. Young parents often meet other parents with children and this can be a way of making new friends and finding new family members. I've heard even of the parents of those parents often become surrogate grandparents to other children as well. And then there are times in our lives where there is no one or there seems to be no one. As I quoted in my first book, the desert is a very fine place. This time comes inevitably if we are to recover from a dysfunctional childhood. This is a time when we must turn inward. We must seek guidance either from a therapist, support reading or support or reading to see how others have managed and gone ahead in this time where there seems to be no biological or spiritual family. And yet people have gone ahead to make new alliances. My first book, Life Works which is exactly about, as the subheading says, rediscovering ourselves and transforming our relationships. Other things we learn about long-term relationships, spiritual surrogate relationships, are to be careful of dual relationships. Dual relationships are where we have two reasons for an alliance. For instance, in friendship at work, we are also colleagues, but especially when there's a power differential or businesses involved with our friendships, we need to be quite careful about boundaries. For instance, if our boss is becoming a friend, it's not an equal relationship. It's always better to become friends or closer friends with a boss or another superior once roles have changed and we're no longer in that dual relationship. Another example is when friends are developing business ideas together or looking at doing business together. This is usually a fraught relationship eventually. Another thing to remember about spiritual relationships is the one who needs the relationship the most has the least power. Many of you listening to this podcast will have come from a dysfunctional family and may need to seek help from a health professional. If in crisis, please call the mental health crisis line in your country. In Australia, this is Lifeline and the number is 13 11 14. Interestingly, the literature on loneliness teaches us much about spiritual friendships. In England, the Office for National Statistics conducts the Community Life Survey and asks people how often they feel lonely. The age group 16 to 24 is the group most likely to report feeling lonely. In contrast, people aged 65 years and older are the group least likely to report being lonely. Many of us associate loneliness with older age, so this pattern might be surprising, but surveys from several other rich countries find the same results, for instance in New Zealand, Japan and the US. So in rich countries, we find that younger people are more likely to report feeling lonely. But does this mean loneliness is increasing? Interestingly, no. But it is complex because loneliness is not a constant across the life cycle. Two forces are at play in loneliness. So in one trend, loneliness decreases from the age of 50. 
However, from 75, it begins to increase again. And the reason for this trend is because of declined health, the loss of a spouse or a partner, and adjusting to these factors, we find that loneliness continues to decline into our oldest age. So at our oldest age, again, we become less lonely as people adjust to their older age. The reason for the first trend, finding that loneliness decreases with age from age 50, is because our social expectations change. We adapt. We've found our spiritual family, potentially, if needed. We've become more selective in our relationships. We've adjusted to biological relationships not being fulfilling and therefore finding our social surrogate relationships. We've discovered who brings positive emotions into our lives, about relating with contacts who bring these positive emotions to our lives. So research shows it's it's the quality of our social network that's related most strongly to loneliness compared to the quantity. The contacts with friends and neighbours provide stronger associations with loneliness compared with family members. So it's not family that help with loneliness, it's friends and neighbours. It's surrogate spiritual relationships that are most strongly linked with less loneliness, more so than biological family. This complex relationship between age and loneliness shows why comparing old and young people at a given point in time is misleading. There's an evolution of loneliness over time because loneliness is not a constant across our life cycle and, of course, nor our relationships. While young people aren't more lonely than young people in the past, of course the way young people are socialising has changed and is changing dramatically via much more technology and less physical contact. There is much hype in the media about the rise of loneliness, but there has been much societal change. The rise of living alone makes people assume that newer generations would be more lonely, and yet they're not. Studies in the USA find that it's not the case that loneliness is increasing. Studies with data from other rich countries points in the same direction. In Sweden, a repeated cross-sectional survey with adults aged 85 90 and 95 years of age, found no increase in loneliness over a 10-year period. And what about studies with older adults? What about evidence in adolescence? Studies have found no evidence for high school seniors reporting higher levels of loneliness than earlier generations of high school seniors. Psychologists replicated this analysis using the same survey but focusing on all age groups and found no sign of increasing loneliness across any age group as compared to previous generations. In fact, they found a very small but statistically significant decline in loneliness for high school students in the US in current generations as opposed to previous generations. Recent research about loneliness in the USA during the COVID-19 pandemic assessed social distancing and stay-at-home orders to contain the coronavirus and the incidence of loneliness, as there was concern that this would increase loneliness, particularly in vulnerable groups. The study examined the change in loneliness in response to the social restrictions and assessed it at three occasions. Firstly, in late January, early February, before the outbreak of the virus, 
then in late March at the Slow the Spread campaign in the US, and then late in April during the stay-at-home policies of most states in the US. Contrary to expectations, there were no significant changes in loneliness across the three assessments. In fact, respondents perceived an increased support from others over the follow-up period. Older adults reported less loneliness overall compared to younger age groups, just as previous research has shown. There was an increase in loneliness during the acute phase of the outbreak, but this loneliness levelled off after the issuance of stay-at-home orders. Even when physically isolated, the feeling of increased social support and of being in this together may help limit loneliness. Traditionally, humans had extended families and moved in tribes. These days, we need to seek our tribe, particularly if we don't have an extended family. Quite often, parents will consult me where they feel estranged from their child, their adult child. And often in these situations, the adult child may seem to have a personality disorder. If you are a parent and feel that your teenage or younger or older child has drawn away from you or is seeking closer relationship with other adults, there are things that can be done to improve that relationship. And I strongly recommend you seek advice from a psychologist. A relationship that may seem to be fading can come back more strongly as often relationships ebb and flow throughout lifetimes. If you or someone you care about find a need for spiritual family, connection or companionship, don't be afraid to reach out and explore the possibility of these relationships. If you feel you're experiencing severe loneliness, you can call Lifeline for support on 13 11 14, available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week or seek help from a psychologist. Please note, any references to people, stories or scenarios mentioned in this podcast are an amalgamation of experiences. To find out more about me, please visit my website, dramandaferguson.com.au. You can find the link in my show notes.